We're in a series on the faithfulness of God. And I love just even the idea of this series because everything about life is changing rapidly. And everything seems to be shifting and moving. And in an election year, everything is uncertain. And in an election year like this, everything's really uncertain. You know, and, and you know, it just things are always moving. So to discuss the faithfulness of God in a time like this is to me extremely encouraging because it's a great reminder to step out of all the chaos, to step away from the, the 24-hour news cycles and Facebook threads and all the other things that are competing for our attention and affection and to be reminded of the one who doesn't change, who doesn't move. And so today we're going to be looking in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. 2 Timothy is right after 1 Timothy, if you're looking for it in your Bible. And unlike Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a book that is named not by its author, but it's named based on who it was written to. So the book of 2 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who's a spiritual son to him, who's leading the church in Ephesus. And Paul is in jail. He's writing this letter from jail. He had been in jail before, uh, but this time it was different. Paul had been beaten. He'd been, he'd been abused. He'd been persecuted in, in the most severe ways possible. But this time in this jail, he knew that his life was coming to an end. And so he's writing to Timothy and he's consolidating everything down into an encouragement for Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy... And the church of Ephesus, what they would do is they'd, they'd pass the letters around so other people would see it. But he wrote this letter to Timothy and he's saying, hey, life is hard. And the Christian life is going to be harder in some ways. Because on top of the hardship of life, you're going to be an alien and you're going to live a different life than the world around you. You're going to have to say no to temptation. You're going to have to fight against selfishness. You're going to have to strive for holiness and to be humble where those are not values that are propped up in, in any culture, much less uh, theirs or ours. And so Paul's writing him this to encourage him. I love the way that Paul decides to encourage Timothy. He doesn't over-identify with Tim- Timothy's struggles. You know, sometimes when we're trying, when we feel compassion towards a person, we, we make the mistake of over over-identifying with the struggle and not encouraging somebody out of the things that caused the struggle to come in the first place, right? Uh, And sometimes that's because of our own insecurity. Sometimes it's because we don't want to break the person. And so there is some wisdom that we don't want to just beat people with the bat of truth. But at the same time, we uh, we, we need to be gracious enough to encourage people out of damaging, dangerous, unhealthy, situations, right? And so I love, I love that Paul doesn't over-identify and be like, man, Timothy, it's hard, and it's going to be hard, and that's just the way it is. And just, just stay there. And oh, that's okay that it's hard. Just stay hidden, stay quiet, keep your head down, and so it'll be less hard. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't say, this isn't fair. You deserve better, Timothy. You're a good young man. I love you. I like you. I don't know why everybody's trying to give you a hard time. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't state the unfairness of the situation or the unrighteousness of the situation. Instead, he's like, hey, Timothy, I want to encourage you that any suffering done for the sake of the gospel, any suffering done in and for the name of Jesus is worth it. 
says, let me remind you of the good news, Timothy. Let me encourage your faith. Let me stir your heart. Let me encourage your mind. Let me give you some information and some reminders so that you can, so that you can remember what this is really all about. Timothy, you're going to experience some difficulty. You're going to experience some trial. You're going to want to, you're going to want to shut down. You're going to want to hide. You're not going to want to tell anybody. You're going to want to keep it a secret. But you can't do that, Timothy, because the news is just too good to keep to yourself. We do a similar thing at Grace Covenant Church if, you're, if you do have a marriage situation that comes up. And we'll do a similar thing if you do have a parenting situation or if you've got a, a work situation. The first thing that we want to do is not to fully understand the situation in your workplace or fully understand you know, who said what before it turned into a cat fight or who's, who said what or who did what. The first thing that we want to do as a church is help remind you of the gospel. And help ask questions like, what does the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus is alive today, how does that apply to your situation? And so that's something that we do. That's something that you can expect, not because we don't care about the other things, but the gospel lays the ax to the root of a thing. So often what we, what we don't need is a better communication strategy. What we need is a forgiveness strategy. What you need better than a budget strategy is a love strategy, right? What you need more than uh, a second car is humility. <laughs> right, I saw this video one time on YouTube. These parents uh, had this big fancy house and really fancy cars. In this video, I'm sorry, it's a tangent, obviously. Um, so they, they were buying their kid a, a car, you know, 16-year-old, and they were like, they got him blindfolded, and they walked him out into the driveway, and it was a piece of junk, red pickup truck with rust and, and everything else. And this kid, very well-to-do, and he expected, you know, like a Beamer or something, right? He wanted a BMW or, you know, something, you know. He, he was settled for, like, a Camaro. Um, so when they pulled the, <laughs> the band up, the kid lost his mind. And got a baseball bat and started hitting his car and just attacked this car. And it's like, bro, you need humility. That's, I don't know why that came to mind, why that picture came to mind. But, you know, we can be so ungrateful for the things that we have or so ungrateful for our, our hoopty that it's like, oh, I need the nicer thing. Or ungrateful for our house. I need the nicer house. Ungrateful for our carpet. I need the nicer carpet. I settled for the medium grade carpet. I'm not renovating my house. Don't worry. It's not like a personal thing spilling out. Um, But we need humility. We need humility more than we need more finances. We need wisdom, wisdom from heaven more than we need, uh, you know, more information about what's happening in our economy and our our age. So Paul doesn't, doesn't stop with just identifying with it. He doesn't stop at just stating what the problem is. He doesn't stop with some casual encouragement, but he jumps in and he reminds Timothy why it's worth it by reminding him of the gospel. And that's what we're looking at today in 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today to hear your heart for us, to understand more of your purpose for us, and how we can walk and live in a way that is honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's saying of Timothy, this is a hard life and it's going to cost you a lot. It's going to cost you a lot to walk with Jesus. It's going to cost you a lot to identify with the Christian church. It's going to cost you a ton. And we don't really fully understand that in our culture. Because I, I, I may be wrong, but I don't think anybody in here has lost their job for being a Christian or identifying with a Christian. Most people in this room have never experienced the loss of a job, the the burning of their house or the loss of a family member because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, let the fact that Jesus died for you energize you. Let the fact that he rose from the dead give you hope and let all of this remind you that everything in this life is temporary, Timothy. And there's an eternity that, I, that, that God has in mind for you that is going to make all of the current suffering, all of the current struggle, all of the current pain pale in comparison to what's coming. He starts by saying it's a trustworthy statement. And this this statement is likely a statement that was memorized by the early church, something that they encouraged each other with. It was a short little saying. Um, Paul says a very similar thing to the Romans uh, in in his letter to the Romans. And in this, we see that uh, Paul highlights two rewards, a result and a promise. Okay, the result, I'm using euphemistically because it's intense, right? So it's two rewards, a result and a promise. And, and result, I'm calling that a euphemism uh, for maybe um, consequence or worse, calamity. JC, you got a synonym for me? No, okay, we'll stick with that. We'll get there when we get there. But the idea of being denied by God is heavier than a result. But it gave me brief alliteration and left it a little bit light. So Paul says, if we have died with him, we also live with him. This wasn't just, this wasn't just Paul's idea. He likely got the idea from Jesus himself. Uh, through, through the other disciples. When Luke 9, 24, Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it or gain it. And so he's saying, he's repeating something that Jesus had already stated and he's reminding Timothy, hey, remember this teaching. You can rely on this saying. It's true. It's not made up. It's not that, you know, God works in mysterious ways, quote, from the book of Hesitations. It's not that mysterious, like, God helps those who help themselves kind of thing that just kind of gets made up and looks, makes a good meme, right, and a good pregame talk. But he's saying, no, this is something you can, you can stick a flag in it. This is something you can stand on. This is something you can believe. This is something you can, you can hold on to for yourself, and you can give it to other people as well. If you die with him, you will live with him. I think that there are two deaths here in mind. There's the death that allows you to lay down your heart and your soul to God, to surrender your heart. And we surrender our heart and our mind and our soul to God for a better life that he desires for us right now. 
But then there's also the physical death that Paul knew was coming his way. That many of the early church experienced through martyrdom because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Because the power of God was being shown through them, they were being murdered. And Paul's saying, you know, so, so like sometimes, sometimes we're like, yeah, I would die for you. And the only reason we say that is because we, we pretty much know that we're never going to have to make that decision. I teased my wife. There was a song like, I would take a bullet for you. You know, and, and I'm like, what a stupid song. He's never been somewhere near a bullet. Right? And, and so I'm like, baby, I'll take a bullet for you. And, and she's like, how about you do the dishes for me? And I'm like, I'd rather take a bullet for you. I was signed up for that. Don't lower the bar of my love. But that lower bar is painful and impossible. <laughs> dishes. You're with me, right? We say we want to do this big dramatic thing, but the big dramatic thing isn't so hard if you start with the little thing. And so it starts with the decision to surrender our soul, our mind, our will, our purpose to God. And if we're willing to do that, when it comes time to laying your life down, it's an easy decision. Because I'm already living for you anyway. I'm not living for myself. In the movie Cars, uh, there's an old sheriff guy who used to be a racer. And there's this young whippersnapper. What's his name? Lightning McQueen. And Lightning McQueen is in trouble. Thank you, Rosa. <laughs> Lightning McQueen is this young studly race car. He was, a, he was a stud. He was a rock star. I mean, he was like the new fresh thing sports car. And there was this old guy, Cadillac, playing the sheriff. And he, he had once won the Piston Cup Series. And Lightning McQueen wanted to win the Piston Cup Series. Lightning McQueen got in a lot of trouble. And so finally, the sheriff gives him the opportunity to race him to get out of jail. If Lightning McQueen wins, he's out of jail. He can go to the race. If Lightning McQueen loses, he needs to repave the entire town because he, he messed up the town. So, uh, so they go out on this dirt track and Lightning McQueen tears off. He's like, I'm going to beat this old guy. I'm going to destroy him. And he goes around a, a dirt turn and crashes off the road. And the old guy just kind of lumbers along, you know, and finishes the race. And he's like, what's the matter, young guy? Right? And so Lightning McQueen finally gets it through his head. I'm, I need to ask him what in the world happened there. And Lightning McQueen says, well, to go right, you got to turn left. Or to go left, you got to turn right, probably because NASCAR goes in that circle. Um, so you got you to turn right to go left. And it's this paradox that we experience in the Christian life as well. Lightning McQueen's brain, mind was blown. His little cartoon animated mind was blown. And he's like, I don't get it. You must be wrong. I'm sure that works great in little imaginaryville or pretend life or opposite world, wherever you come from. But this is real life. This is racing. And so he was so offended because the truth was so paradoxical to his experience that he didn't understand how that would actually, that would actually work. And so what is it about this Christian life that Jesus is saying to gain life, you have to lose your life. We're like, we're like a child holding on, a little girl holding on to a fake pearl necklace and we won't let go of it even though daddy wants to give us the real pearl necklace. We're like the kid who's satisfied to play with mud pies when there's a banquet inside the house. 
We've got to lose what we think is life to gain hold of the more valuable and precious life. We have to let go of what we think is just fine and dandy and enjoyable to accept that which is nourishing and fulfilling and satisfying. But it can be so hard, can it? If we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. One of my favorite pictures of, of Jesus is the Lion of Judah. Judah being the, uh, the tribe of kings from, from the Hebrews, right? So the tribe of king and lion representing endless strength and power and, and um, fierceness. This says if we endure, we'll reign with him. All the fierceness, all the power, all the strength, all the fierceness of fiercenessness of God. That's a t- stupid word. It's probably not even real. All of that become he becomes our advocate. All of the the strength and the might. How lions roar will make you scared. And that's just a taste of its bite. But he becomes our advocate and all of his strength comes for you on your behalf to shout down your enemy, to tear down the things that would come against you, to protect and defend and provide for you. All of the power of God comes alongside of you to restore you and to transform you and to give you life. If we endure, we reign with this lion of Judah. I don't belong on any throne. I can barely decide what to eat at a restaurant. To make high decisions, to make governmental decisions, to make heavy decisions. But I'm right here with my lion of Judah. I'm right here with the king of kings. I'm right here with the God who is above every other entity, above every other spirit, above every other domain, above every other principality. He's with me. I'm ruling with him. He's not ruling with me. Right? And sometimes we we think of it the other way way around. Well, God, I'm glad I'm I'm going to accept this Christianity thing because I got a lot of stuff I need you to do for me right now. I got these ideas. They're pretty big ideas, so listen carefully. Take good notes, God. Because I got some things that I think need to happen. And I, I've probably got a solution for this community. I've probably got a solution for this nation. I got a solution, God, for, for you know, this traffic jam. That's just been bugging me a long time. But now that I've got you, you can rule with me and we'll fix these problems. And I've got a plan. You can speak when you want. Sometimes we're like, God, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. I'm just, that's from my own life. But oftentimes we come that way instead of coming the other way and saying, no, I'm going to endure and I'm going to come alongside of you and underneath you in your rulership. And I'm going to participate with you in this kingdom life that you have for me. Does that make sense? If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
How do we deny God? We talked about this a little bit in the Ten Commandments series a few weeks back, and more, most, more specifically, um, when we talked about taking the Lord's name in vain. We deny him when we minimize his power. We deny him when we minimize his authority. We deny him when we don't obey. We deny him when we, I mean, we, we kind of, we've orchestrated it in such a way that we've got religious language that defends and supports our denial of him, right? And I'm, I'm you know, we can be like, God's really been telling me that I need to just, that I need to go on a missions trip or God told me that I need to forgive. God told me that I need to, I need to give some money. God told me that I need to, to X, Y, Z, right? Well, how long God's been telling you that? About a year and a half. You know, I just really feel impressing on my heart that I, I should be doing this, you know, for about a year and a half or 10. Right? Don't, isn't this the, right? But we deny God in doing that. We deny his authority. He's not very godly if we're, if we're like, hey, I hear you. I see that you've got this idea, but I've got a better idea. Instead of giving to that orphanage, I'm going to... <laughs> you know, take my kids out to eat, right? Oh, that hurt, didn't it? Because you're like, oh, I love my kids. <laughs> but we got to love God more. Yeah. You, may, you may feel like, well, David, salvation's by grace and through faith. It's not through our own action. I mean, we celebrated communion today. And Sean highlighted for us how much it's not about what we've done or what we do and how much of this is about what God has done for us. And you're talking about doing all of these things. How, how do these two things belong together? Well, here in lies another paradox. It requires a paradigm shift, but, but really I think the simplest way to say this is that um, we don't deny him when we live a life of gratitude for what he's done when we're thankful for what he's done. And and it's not just about what he's done, but it's also about who he is. And it's about what he's due. When we're loyal to him. When we say, God, I'm I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. For what you've done for me, it's a small thing. To offer even my entire life to you. To, to, to do the opposite of to deny him. Would be to honor him. To acknowledge him. To hold his name high. And to give him weight and authority in your life. Not to be like, thanks for that. But I'm good. There's a consequence here. Or the result. Actually, let me, uh, let me say this first. We... we as a culture, we get really mad at God that he doesn't just accept everybody just the way they are and, and allow them to stay that way. Allow us to stay this way. It's like, you know, God's been doing some deep work in my heart recently and I'm like, God, can't you just leave me alone? I'm tired of repenting. I'm tired, <laughs> I'm tired of apologizing. I'm tired of forgiving. Can I just sit here for a minute? Right, anybody ever been there? Yeah, then you're walking with Jesus. 
No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was too heavy. No, that's not true. But it's true. But it's not true. But it's really true. You got to turn right to go left. You just... <laughs> It's like, it's like, it's like we, I get so caught up on the pain of this moment that I forget about the enormous burden that was off my back. You know, I've been walking around with this and I'm like, but God, it's going to really hurt to take this off. It's going to really hurt to forgive. So I'd rather just leave it on. I'd rather just not forgive because it's going to really humble me to go and apologize for that thing that I did on purpose. It's going to be really hard for me to do that. It's going to be really humbling. I'd rather not feel that pain in my heart. But then, but then when you do it, you're like, man, that hurt, but it, but it feels so good. And then God just exposes the other load. But if we look at this pragmatically, like we hate the idea of God judging someone. We hate the idea of God denying anyone, right? Like he's going to deny us access to him. He's going to deny us like his presence and his, and his nearness. And, and we, we hate that idea. But in what other relationship does that make any sense at all? That we would be upset for this. If I denied my wife, you'd be like, slap him. Right? Yeah, there we go. Thank you. If I deny my wife access to my heart, if I deny my, my wife access to our bank account, if I, right, at a certain point, it's like, boy, you better get yourself right. Right? And all of you would, would agree that she is in the right to be upset with me. But Jesus, you'll have to forgive me because of the cross and everything. Thank you. If we deny him, he's going to deny us. And I know, I know we don't like that idea that, that God would deny anybody. But, you know, as I, as I look at it with just kind of fresh eyes, I'm like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Why would I expect any different? He already loved me when I was unlovable. He already died for me. He already rose from the dead for me. He already pursued me relentlessly by his Holy Spirit and drew me to himself. He already forgives me. He already washed me clean. He justified me. And so, and, and now I'm like, no, I'd rather not give you attention. I'd rather deny you. And then I want to be mad if he denies me. When you think about how far God condescended, he came down in such a humble state. In addition to being the lion of Judah, he's also the lamb of God. And he came down and took this most humble position as a lamb and was slaughtered for me. And he's saying, don't deny me. It's pretty practical. That's a little bit different. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. This one is really interesting. If we this, then that. If this, then logically that. Then if we remain faithless, he remains faithless. No, 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 that's not what happens. If we remain faithless, he remains faithful. Right? You're kind of going tit for tat, tit for tat, tit. What just happened? If we're faithless, he remains faithful. What is that about? We stumble and fall. 
We fail. We fall short on accident, sometimes on purpose. Meanwhile, he's unchanging, unshakable, uh, remarkable, and always constant. His faithfulness is not dependent, it's not contingent on you. His faithfulness is contingent on himself. It's contingent on his word. In John 1, 1 verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He is his word. He's forever bound to his word. His word doesn't change. It stays the same always and forever. And so he's faithful to himself. And we're beneficiaries of that faithfulness. But it's not based on our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. You with me? God is always faithful. And you can't separate God from his words. You know, sometimes I say something I don't mean because I didn't communicate it well enough so that what is said isn't what I meant. You get a different, you get something else entirely. I wanted to say this and you understood this. Sometimes I say what I don't mean, but what I mean by I didn't mean it is I wanted it to stay inside my head instead of outside my head. Right? Y'all have done this. Well, I didn't mean it. That's not who I am. Oh, it's not. That's funny because you did it. You might not like that part of you. You might be surprised by that part of you. You might be shaken by that part of you. That might be far darker and far further than you thought you were dark or far. But God's not surprised by it. And that's what makes all of this remarkable to me. Is that knowing the depths of our soul and knowing our, our kind of our, our predispositions, knowing uh, like how we, knowing how we are, he loves us and died for us and rose from the dead for us and offers himself fully to us. I'm just excited. I'm geeking out. But you can't separate him from his word and he's faithful always to his word. And that is such great news. Because in a world that's always changing, always shaking, that's so, so uncertain and so changing. That was a disappointing end of that sentence. (laughs) He's unchanging. He's an always and forever God with an always and forever love. you. You never have to worry about him flaking on his commitment to you because he'll never flake. I want to I close with this challenge and a question for you today. For those of you who do not have a relationship with Jesus or you've been kind of, you've come around church and you've got church language and, you know, you're familiar with religion, for what reason or reasons would you continue to to deny God? For what reason or reasons would you continue to deny God? And you got to be honest with yourself in answering this question. God's not going to be surprised by your answer. He already knows. What's possible is that you would be surprised by your answer. 
Perhaps it's intellectual. More likely, it's emotional or willful, having to do with your soul. You just don't want it to cost. You're afraid about what it's going to cost. You don't want it to hurt. You think you're generally a good person. And you don't need the God upgrade patch. The second question, this is for those of you who have a relationship with Jesus. In what ways do you still purposely or mistakenly deny him? It's important to allow a message like this to encourage us and challenge us at the same time. And if we hear a message about God's faithfulness and God's unchanging nature and his love for us and his passion for us without recognizing our need to come in line with him, we'll miss out on the growth and the transformation that God has for us.